the number of women who become financially independent thanks to the internet can be huge if all goes well in about 3 4 years we will see anywhere between 10 to 20 million women become micro entrepreneurs on the internet so right from the online sellers to influencers to women who make their own products to women who work from home to women who are gig workers to women who are professionals and i think that will kick start employment and entrepreneurship like nothing else Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Anand and this is the Insights podcast series from Axel. On this show, we offer up straight talk on entrepreneurship, business and self-improvement through stories and conversations with some of the most brilliant startup founders, business thinkers and industry leaders around the world. This is our 56th episode and if you want to learn more about us or check out our show notes, head on to our website insightspodcast.in. after listening to this my guest this time is a very well known founder sairi chahal is a founder and ceo of shiros a social networking platform for over 15 million plus women she's also an aspen fellow and serves on the board of paytm payment bank having founded three businesses two of them around women sairi has been an entrepreneur for 15 plus years now in this episode we talk about her early life and career in international relations as a consultant her experience starting a consulting firm focused on small and medium businesses and then moving on to start flexi moms first and pivoting that to shiros and scaling it to what it is today sari also shares some great insights on building successful products around communities hope you enjoy this conversation Sari welcome to the podcast thanks for taking the time thank you for having me awesome so before we go into your journey maybe tell the audience a little bit about shiros the current scale where it is yeah right so our shiros is shiros is at an at a teenage phase of its life you can call it it's we now about 20 million women strong and it's it's evolved into an ecosystem when i started shiros i always had these frames in mind and i think those frames are there to see they're not just in my mind anymore they're out there so there's a core platform there is there is you know the shiros stack which we're still building very early days very early shoots and then there are our business lines which includes remote work working with brands social commerce and now we're sort of testing a couple of things that you know so shiros is actually like a giant lab there are always some things that are being tested and some things that have been rolled out and there's some things that I mean it's but i think uh, shiros is at a very interesting phase because timing matters and when i started shiros there were 10 million women online in india today there are about 250 to 300 million women who are connected to a smartphone so i think we we are really sort of you know riding a very very interesting wave here and of course all these women want better lives they want more from internet uh, they want a safer high quality experience of the internet and they want both income and identity that works for them so yeah awesome awesome that's helpful we're going to come back and spend most of our time there but always love to learn a little bit about the guest here in this case you tell us a little bit about your early days uh, education career whatever you want to talk about yeah. so yeah. look i i grew up in small town in india and i I keep saying it over and over again so that the women in small towns you know get up and pack their bags and get out you know so 
So I grew up, my school was in a place called Muzaffar Nagar, you know, and we used to have what we call riot vacation. At least kids used to call it riot vacation because every year the school would shut down three, four times because of communal riot. But obviously we didn't know it's a bad thing to sort of, you know, wait for. But <laughs> very middle class upbringing, grew up on outskirts of the city. I grew up with lots of books. My dad's an engineer. We always had Russian engineers. So grew up on a lot of, lot of scientific books and a lot of, you know, literature. And, and that kind of, I think, gave a lot of grounding, but also a lot of, you know, let's get out of here. Even when I was 12, 13, I knew that, look, you know, one needs to sort of, you know, find their own road. And, and so by the time I was 17, I was out. I left home when I was 17 and started working when I was 19. And, wow. uh, yeah, and I think those years are now very precious in hindsight because I think a lot of learning happened there, real life learning and, you know, uh, practical learning. And of course, you know, just sort of expanding your horizons. So, Got it. Yeah. So undergrad, you did it in JNU. Maybe what sparked your interest in international relations? I believe that's what you studied. Yeah. I My undergrad's <laughs> in Russian language. And, oh, wow. uh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So Russian language and literature, you know, in my head, I was supposed to be an academic. Like, I think that's what I was sort of, you know, that's where I was going. And, you know, when you come from a middle class family with a lot of Russian influence, academia or maybe UPSC, those are sort of safe spots for you, you know, if you're not going to IIT. So that's where I was, I think, heading. But two things transpired. One is I started working very early, you know. So by the time I was in second year, I was taking freelance assignments. I was teaching diplomats, Russian, English lessons, Russian lessons. I was taking on freelance work. And then it kind of sparked my interest in sort of a lot more things. So I did a lot of, lot of things that I think, a lot of freelance work, writing and PR and research. And one of the lesser known facts, I helped a lot of embassies of ex-Soviet nations set up in debt. So hmm. Pakistan, Belarus. Kyrgyzstan, Ukraine, a lot of them, you know, when they were being set up, I used to freelance and I used to help them sort of do this. And IR happened because, you know, again, academia, you know, wanted to sort of, I always had this Russia influence. I still do. I speak the language. So in my head, I was going to be a PhD and teaching in some university in, in India or overseas. But, you know, something else transpired. I stumbled upon what became my first startup. So. While I was doing my MPhil, I was also building my first startup. Mm. And and I think clearly, you know, they were the, that was the fork in the road. And obviously, I didn't go down the academia road and took the startup road. So my introduction to building startups was 99 when I was still in college. And so obviously, IR happened. But more than IR, we ended up building a company called Newslink, uh, which was world's first newspaper for mariners. And that's where I learned my ropes. That's where I learned you know, how to put things together. And again, you know, beginner's luck. So I think uh, that's that's what transpired. Got it. You spent some time in Hydrix and Struggles? Or was that yeah. as a consultant or full-time? So actually, Hydrix was a short stint. So Newslink was a stint before Hydrix. Literally with my bare hands. I was the first person on the team. Uh, it wasn't my idea or my money, but I built a company. And that's where I learned everything, you know, building mm. tech and building teams and how to hire people who are older than you and things like that. And Newsling got acquired. You know, we saw what they call an exit now. And I didn't even know there's a term called exit. And then I uh, went and worked with Hydric briefly for about a year and worked with CII for a year. I 
worked for both of them because they said you can work on our Russia practice. Hmm. So Hydric was reviving their Russia practice, so I jumped on that occasion and got to work with them. And I think, uh, in hindsight, learned a lot. Learned how a big company works. Learned how slow decision making works. Learned <laughs> to be proper at all times. And learned how to sort of, you know, work with an organization that has fifty six offices. So again, fabulous experience. Learned a lot. Made a lot of friends. Got to see scale, you know, from building a startup to seeing seeing an organization that has systems and processes. It was a nice change, but it was also a realization to say, "Dude, you don't belong here. Like, mm. it is not mm. you. You got to go back to building something." Yeah, got it. So maybe before we jump into your next entrepreneurial stint, I'm just curious, what got your passion for Russian language? And how did that start? Yeah. So you know, I grew up in steel plants. We always had Russian engineers hanging around, and they had their families. So you know, along with our newspapers and magazines, we got Russian magazines, Misha and Sputnik, and you know, and Russians had great science books. You know, physics and metallurgy. My dad's a metallurgist, so I was always fascinated. And I think in those days, India Russia was a thing. You know, and obviously, there's a lot of romance about it. You know, uh, childhood fancy, no real logic, honestly. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's great. So it's always I'm always curious what sparks that. So that is good to hear. So after I, uh, the CII consultant gig, you started Saita Consulting. Maybe talk us through that journey. How did that happen? Right. So Saita uh, happened because of a couple of reasons. One is I think by that time I had seen. A little bit of entrepreneurial wave in India. I think that was the time. Which year was this? Saita was two thousand six, but you know, for me, it all started in ninety nine, two thousand. I don't know if you remember. There was this big event called India, you know, and we all sort of like hung out there, and you know, again, like total what I call fool's luck. You know, I had no connection to internet or tech or any of that, but because of Newsling, I got thrown into the system. You know, I had to learn. Thing. And then, so I'd I'd started following the space, following these founders. Uh, in fact, I met uh, Vijay Shaker in two thousand. That's how long back you know I've traced one nine seven. So Saita happened because there were a lot of founders and entrepreneurs and business owners who were who were trying to scale their companies and typically would invest all their time in either building a product or selling to their customers. And when you scale a company, you need a lot of effort in systems and processes, documentation, marketing, PR, you know, all the things that are non-revenue, but really important for scale. So we would come in as kind of a turnkey partner and work with companies for anywhere between six months to 10 months, sort of do a build, operate, transfer, and then sort of move up. And small team. And I think by that time, I'd sort of become confident, you know, I'd worked worked for a bit, I'd built a company, uh, I had enough sort of networks. So Saito was really a place to sort of consolidate everything and to also run my own business. I think that was really... And what was the initial offering? So the initial offering was helping companies put processes in place that would help them go from A to B. You know, So how does a company go from 35 people to 1,500 people? How does a company you know, put its fundamentals of marketing in place. So we would really take a particular objective and help help companies set up, you know. So if I may share at this stage, it's been many years now. That was a time when 197 had just raised their first round of funding and they're growing like crazy. So we actually sat down and did a bunch of work for them, which 
some of that is still being used. Then there was DGM India, Anurag, Gupta, who passed away last year. We helped DGM India. So we would sort of come in as a crack team, uh, you know, for a company, take on a particular function or take on a particular objective, deliver it, and then get out. Got so a bunch of these helping companies find their feet or go from point A to point B, mostly non-revenue functions, non-tech functions, things that, that don't typically get entrepreneurial attention. And, and still needs to be done because it's, you know, the company's growing and needs a lot. Went from that to Fleximoms. How did that happen? What What was the foundation? Yes. You know, I have begun to think that all of this, like all these things just found me. You know, honestly, I didn't find anything. You connected. We had really smart women working for me. And obviously, when I started the company, I didn't think we're going to hire only women or we're going to be a women-heavy team. But it ended up becoming that way and what we realized was the women who work with us are really smart you know we had ex-Bain consultants and McKinsey consultants and I had I had a distributed team this is 2006 I had a remote team and I had really high quality consultants from you know all the big fours working on these you know startup projects and we were having lots of fun and I had teams sitting in South Africa and Hong Kong and India but in hindsight, they were all women, mm. you know. And then obviously, you know, over a period of time, we figured that just because we offer flexibility and we are distributed, we're remote, all these really smart people are happy to work with us. And a funny thing started happening. Every day, I would get hundreds of resumes in my box. You know, bankers, consultants, Amex, credit service, like really big, big companies. And we were a small team, 20 people, you know, how big can a boutique consulting company be and how many people do we need to hire? And we really didn't need all those people, but they were really smart people. And then obviously when, you know, it's also your stage in life. By this time, I got married. I had my daughter. She was, you know, she literally grew up in my office. So I was obviously more aware of, you know, what's happening here by now. And what really sort of struck me was that, Companies are just not flexible enough. They're just not open to the needs of these women. Mm. So Simons honestly didn't start as a business idea. It just started as a night. You know, like one fine day, we were all sitting in office and, you know, talking about this. And we said, look, we've got to do something. You know, there are these thousands of resumes sitting in our inbox. We should have these ladies. So we put up this website. Uh, we called a developer in Noida, booked a domain, and we said, like just put these two forms, one for companies, one for women, and we uploaded all those resumes on the on the platform, and we launched it. And then we did a couple of offline, you know, meetups to say, hey, all these people, if you're looking for something, you know, just log into Flexi Moms. And then it just took off, you know, that ugly .NET page just took in. And then I think there was a period where Saita was running and Flexi Moms was happening, and I think that was also a period where I had to like think about what do I want whether I want to run a nice, stable consulting business that pays your bills, you have enough cash flow, but you'll never be like 10x, right? Or you want to sort of now look into this world of consumer internet and even, you know, what it is today, or uh, let me just say Flipkart hadn't happened by then. And, but it was very clear to me that there's something there, you know, in terms of how popular Fleximums became, you know, I mean, Fleximums hasn't existed for, six seven years now and still people remember it we st- i still get emails to say i used to be a fleximons member or i came and attended a meet or i applied for a job so it just took off because it was the first you know and then we signed up 
lot of companies like Techmark. So it became a thing, and then we had to pick up. So Shiro's came out of that whole whole story. Got it. So I want to get to Shiro's in a minute, but let's walk through that FlexiMom story, right? A little bit more. So you started, and then you put up this .NET site, and and it was to connect moms who wanted a flexible schedule. I'm guessing, and then to jobs, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So it would help women either find flexible work or help them get back to work or just find resources around any of these. Things, okay. You know, so content around working from home, how to start a home-based business. And obviously a lot of what we do today or what we've done in the past was kind of, it had a community vibe. So while, it, you know, the platform was still, you know, we didn't have any developers or anybody. And, uh, but, the, but the whole thing had a community vibe. We would do offline catch-ups, we would speak to women. And that's something that's sort of, you know, stuck with us, that talk to your users, talk to women, talk to your community. And Fleximons would sort of help women find jobs, find positions, get back to work. We even made some coaching programs. There was a back-to-work program. There was one-on-one coaching. We were just playing, actually, you know, like, and because uh, the real business was the consulting business, which was paying the bills, we were just having fun. Like we went for a long time until we figured like, okay, dude, now take a call, do something, get serious. It's not just fun and games. So this was, you had both Saita and Fleximom running from 2006, seven for how long? Yeah. Then by 13, you know, we knew that. And and you wound on both Saita and Fleximoms at that time or, or what happened? Yeah. So, yes, so Fleximom was kind of folded into Shiro's because okay. what we really had was a bunch of users, right? And, uh, yeah. And we obviously took down the site. And Saita, I quit. I had another partner. She took that over. Uh, she didn't want to go into this bad world of consumer. <laughs> yeah. And you had already grown uh, Fleximoms to 2 lakh plus women or something. It was a straw solid community. You know, like today when I see, you know, people talk about growth hacking, Obviously, I think in my life, things have happened first and then I figured what this is called. Like Newsling got got acquired and somebody asked me, oh, you had an exit. I didn't know this is what you call an exit. And then Fleximons was acquiring, you know, users every day because I would, in my mailbox, I would get every sign up who came. Things you can do when you're a small company. So, and of course, now it's called growth hacking. So, you know, but uh, yeah, so Fleximons grew quite a bit. And we had no money really, right? Like in the sense, we didn't sort of make any extra efforts to sort of do this. But what we managed to do was pay for itself, you know, do some coaching, get get customers on board. So some really nice companies signed up, like Tata's came on board, Mahindra's came on board, a lot of other companies came. And that really helped because that helped build credibility. Mm-hmm. And I think Fleximoms also grew because before Fleximoms, if you went online and you searched for work from home, I don't think anybody searched for back to work because it kind of didn't exist back then. Mm. But if you said work from home, you would get all those get rich links. The month Sell snake oil types. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you need lots of that. So I think the first company, maybe Google indexed, that sort of showed up real, com- real jobs from real companies and not just jobs, but also the conversation to say, hey, I attended this workshop. I went for an offline meetup. This is my story. So people were like people and they were just not like resumes. And I think two returning moms and moms looking to sort of fit things in their life. Got it. So walk us through that transition. What were the points that made you think, okay, now I need to change this and 
the transition to zeros right. so i think two things are triggers for this one is just the growth of internet you know and i think that story continues to play and it's only now that a lot of that has manifested but i knew that internet's changing our lives right and by that time obviously you know like early shoots of a lot of interesting things were, were already this is 2013 14 time right yeah okay then look i i was like look internet's going to be a big thing in our life you know and we all going to ride it in some way or other and the 2 plus 2 was like look what can we do for women you know and while flexi homes was built for a very small use case very small segment of users metro only educated moms back to work highly qualified very different sort of from where we are today but the fundamental thesis was that internet's going to grow you know basically mad optimism about internet's going to mm-hmm. grow and so glad it's worked out you know that it's growing but and the second was look uh, the gender gap is just not for moms right the gender gaps for everyone right from that adolescent girl in western up in a village to to founders to vcs to women in leadership to women in tech to to women who are micro entrepreneurs to women who are asha workers so that's the universalism of you know the gender gap so my entire sort of thought process for a long time has been big gender gap big internet growth how can we sort of marry the two it it was that simple and then of course you know i called vss and he was like please have breakfast with me i have to take some life decisions so that conversation was super helpful i think it was one of those marky conversations in my own life he and i was like look i need to sort of do this and i want to build this you know women's platform what should i do and in his you know in style is like look uh, why didn't you work out of our office you know because you know i had given up saita and i was starting afresh just bring your laptop tomorrow and you can start tomorrow so that's how she was started to say hey we're going to sort of now build something one for a bigger audience and two for different women you know and and obviously it it was still early still 2014 geo hadn't happened whatsapp hadn't happened so but the thesis was pretty much the same so from moms to everyone and the use case was still careers use case was still aspirations work aspirations financial aspirations you know whatever i can do in my professional life largely supported by a community that supports me and of course from there it's kind of now the stage got it so i set up a new company started working out of the paytm office six months free office and then of course i put in my savings basis matched my savings first check in and that's how she was started awesome yeah and who else like just talk us through that first six months one year uh, what happened so just four or five of us i got the first developer i got a couple of other colleagues joined us you know who were already from saita uh, days just a motley bunch of people trying to sort of get shiros off the ground what we did was actually we said let's sort of put something out there so the first thing we did was we actually put together the shiros summit okay and the shiros summit actually funded shiros for next one and a half years mm. okay. so we said let's sort of put the brand out there and we were also sort of holding taxi moms of the shiros so we we hosted the first shiros summit what was it about so for the audience that doesn't know yeah it's a space for women it's basically putting you know this whole idea of online communities into the offline world you know so basically when you're building communities you have to build trust first so the thing that triggers communities is trust and nothing triggers trust like meeting people offline 
So Shiro Summit was a way for us to get everybody in the room and say, hey, you know, we're going to be building this whole jobs and careers platform for women. We're going to build this whole community that it will enable your success. You know, so let's go. So we got our first few supporters. We had Relegare. We had Intel. So they kind of funded Shiro's, you know, to get started. And uh, yeah, in fact, we helped Relegare build the world first virtual agent program in the world. You know, I mean, now insurance sales is all virtual, but at that time, we actually built a program for them where women would work from home on a tablet that had preloaded CRM and sell insurance for leads that came to their website. So it was a quite a interesting model. So that was launched at the first year summit and then took us six months to get the platform up, you know, so we kept going, we kept building small team, five people. And yeah, and then 2014, January, we launched. Got it. And the first product, like you were the, like who was uh, designing the product and you said you had a developer and all that. Well, talk us through the product journey and what all did you launch? So I think irrespective of who designs the product, I think the founders are the first product Mm -hmm. managers. You know, basically it's inevitable, you know, because it's all in your head and you want to translate it. So we still had just one developer. Actually, the first product was built with one developer and two freelancers for them. So just... Four of us, you know, thought about the product. It was a pretty simple product at that point. Still, you know, about just a common database, helpline, content, resources. You could apply. You could select jobs by how many, th- how much time you wanted to work, by your skills, or by you know, or by your stage in life. So, if you're somebody who's never worked, as opposed to somebody who's very experienced, you would get like a very different, you know, thing show up for you. But it was still, you know, a fairly uh, simple product compared to what we have today, obviously. And yeah, so. What was the alternative at that time or even now for, for people in a similar? I think the alternate has always been. Nokri. Okay. Really. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So, and I think that at that time, Nokri has been scammed. Right? So respected platforms stayed away from mm. And we built our entire and work from home for a long time and then of course we killed that also you know but Nokri was the only really real option even LinkedIn hadn't happened in a big way in India in fact there was a time later in our journey when Nokri was number one in terms of number of daily jobs posted we were number mm. two you know and she just had 20,000 companies working with me so and LinkedIn was distant at that point so. got it got it so you were the first product manager, uh, built it together and started scaling. Maybe a side note. So uh, this is completely coming to the present time. I think everyone's working from home now. Does the equation change post-COVID? Do you think this is a really invigorating, hopefully, uh, moment for the flexible? Yeah. yeah. So I have to say, uh, this is a double-edged hmm. sword. Uh, obviously, it's done two things. It's made remote work respectable. So I think... Anybody who works from home is going to be equally respected now. But what it's also done is, I think the other thing, at least I see in my own team, we all love coming to office because we leave <laughs> like, you know, there is a wall. And especially for women who live in joint families and for women who are sort of managing a lot, office is a nice oasis. It's a safe space to come up. But we're on remote work business line now. And before COVID, all our time went in, you know, 
basically concept sales. This is remote work. This is how it works. Sales cycles were like, you know, six to 10 weeks long. And post-COVID, it's all collapsed. Like everybody knows what's remote work. So we're just selling the product and we're not doing any concept sales. So that business line. So just fun fact, we did the same amount of business in July that we did in the previous quarter. Mm. Mm. And quarter before that. So basically, remote work has become so mainstream. And people now. are willing to go flexible also. One is remote and the other is flexible aspect, right? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So what we offer is a very, very scale solution. So our solution offers a certified base of remote workers who do a certain kind of work. So we do ops, yes, very KPI-driven tasks. No subjectivity, no software, no design. Nothing that needs an opinion, but any, anything that can be metricized, we pick up. And then we we give it out to about 10,000 women who are on the network, who are qualified, who are certified, and depending on availability. So it's a managed Uber model, you can call it. Right? So it's not completely off the stack. There is a large workforce, but there's a lot of quality control into the system so that uh, people can pick and choose. And then... People work anywhere between two hours a day to a full-day job, depending on who they are and what they want. Awesome. Uh, so we run pretty cool ops yeah. there. That's, that's really cool just to see. Because um, maybe you have some data. India still has one of the lowest rates of women employment, I believe. Right? Yeah, right. So what you're doing to impact that is very commendable, really. Do you have any updated numbers, anything showing a better trend? Yeah. Yeah, so two things that are very stark here. So, you know, just to add to this, so the job site ran till about 2017. And by 2017, you know, Geo WhatsApp was happening. And we did a big shift. We killed the job board, you know, and I got lots of angry mails from people who say, why did you shut it down? We were hiring from it and mm-hmm. stuff. But as part of Shiro's, we've always had a helpline. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that helpline has been our source to talk to our community, but it's also our source to help our community. Women can come to our helpline and talk about anything they want, find any piece of advice, look for resources. They can ask us anything, you know, and we, we're very patient with that. And the kind of women coming on that helpline changed. Okay, so earlier it used to be jobs, it used to be how to get back from my business. It became a lot about relationships. I live in a small town, I live in a joint family, abusive situations. The conversation texture completely changed. And that gave us a signal that India's changing, internet's changing all over again. Like, you know, and the other thing is when we were a job platform, most of the jobs were still in bedrooms. You know, the remote hadn't sort of manifested in the way we would like it to. You know, the majority of jobs were still. But a lot of women who were coming to us were not from these cities. So that was another sign. So we went back to the drawing board again and relaunched in Jan 18 and built what we are today, which is the social network for women. And the idea was to deepen it even more, to make, you know, and also I think number of users had grown, you know, and that clearly was sort of, you know, the trend line. So, and, and we took away the whole jobs piece because we figured our impact is very, very small. We can impact a large number of people with other things that, that we can build. So a lot of, lot of transition, a lot of change, a uh, lot of heartburn, you know, along the way, because, you know, you, you're up and running business and then you say like, dude, I'm going to kill this. And like, mm. so a lot of pain there, but I think, it's, it's good for everyone because two things can transpire and that's our hope. One, 
the number of women who become financially independent thanks to the internet can be huge if all goes well in about 3 4 years we will see anywhere between 10 to 20 million women become micro entrepreneurs on the internet so right from the online sellers to influencers to women who make their own products to women who work from home to women who are gig workers to women who are professionals it's and i think that will kick start employment and entrepreneurship like nothing else and we're seeing those trends like when we were a job site you know the growth was always medium paced because we were dependent on the market growth and jobs in india haven't grown you know unfortunately our economy saw a big growth of jobs when it services happened and then infosys happened but that hasn't been repeated right in not 20 years we need a new new engine of job growth and the new engine of job growth is actually entrepreneurship micro entrepreneurship gig workforce and i think covid has accelerated that trend so our bet now is women in small town india women who are you know adequately equipped to use a phone women who are adequately educated and india produces the maximum number of women graduates in the world we have a large number of women who are educated and raring to go and at least educated enough to sort of do something online right and more and more women want to sort of do this a smartphone is really a is a freedom tool you know for for lots and lots of them and that's what is driving now i think financial independence uh, income opportunities and other things for women and that's that's really a big bet that you know we're taking got it great so maybe a couple of questions from the audience that uh, tweeted out think for any questions one of them were three initiatives at shiros that succeeded beyond your initial expectations So actually the most successful and my personal project in chiros is a helpline you know so it started as a simple phone number on a website which i used to take and then somebody else used to take up and then it was a chat helpline for a while and now it's embedded in the chiros app we have a playbook over 2 million women have found counseling via that helpline and you know it has tremendous reach you know like we don't seo it we don't talk about it i tweet about it once a week and that's it like there's no other way to discover that helpline unless somebody tells you right so it's not a feature we talk about but that helpline is just amazing it's become the tool for support and discovery and women from the the smallest villages are finding it and we're really surprised that like how the hell is this happening but clearly there is a you know uh, network it that is in place so the helpline is a great thing i'm very proud of our remote work initiative i think it's going to be one of the largest employers of women in the country we're at about 10000 women who are part of that workforce today and we expect to see it grow 10x within this year itself and then of course i think the other thing that's really really popular and successful on shiro's platform is what we call user generated community these are called invite only communities so as a user I can set up my own community on Shiros. So already seven thousand women run their communities on the platform, and these are their communities. Hmm. So think it's something between you know something bigger than WhatsApp group and a mini app. So invite only community kind of presents that that woman's admin. She decides who comes in, and these communities represent different interests: you know, spirituality, shopping, selling, learning, book reading, cooking—you name it—and you know it's there. Online safety, coding. So invite-only communities are definitely very, very right, awesome. And a couple of things that probably didn't work out as you expect. 
one one of course the whole jobs experiment right like the jobs in the market are not growing and that's also a lesson for all founders that you can't beat the market mm. right so jobs are not growing and if you are growing there's too much to sort of work on and then of course for example we've tried to do things like you know this whole growth hacking playbook is you know all over user referrals and things like that every time we try to do one of these popular things you know popular product manager playbook things we fall on flat on our face so those things don't work on our users or incentivizing our users by paying them something mm. like we figured this is the this is a bad strategy those things have not worked at all you know for, for us and then of course i think on the product side or even on the business side or whatever somebody said we would just take that on and clearly not a good strategy for us so now we've made really really specific very kpi driven so more knows than versus card yeah. that's super helpful maybe related thing is uh, on a, for people trying to build communities product led communities any advice for them or some things that have worked in hindsight or and things like what you mentioned that might not have worked also absolutely so i think look communities are really a trust network you know so there are two kind of networks so there are viral networks like tiktok tiktok and like there's a whole range of them and then there are trust networks like linkedin is a trust network you know and communities are trust networks too and i think anybody who is building a community needs to find a way to embed trust at the core of it you know because if there's trust then people will keep coming back and communities are really a retention play more than an acquisition play because that's really your your metric here and and the other thing you know that has been part of our learning is to bring offline behaviors online you know people behave in a certain way like one of our learnings or our playbook is women have existed in offline communities forever like you know in fact this is a very india first product phenomena if you will because we are the country that produce seva and microfinance and you know a whole lot of these communities that have bandied together women hang out in these groups they bring their life there they they make money there they also get a lot of life advice they 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 have fun there so our playbook is really taking that behavior online you know bringing you know small small features small small tweaks to the product that replicate that behavior online and and i think the other thing about communities is you can't buy off communities you can you can buy a lot of growth you know you can buy transacting users you can buy a lot of things and i think that's the hardest thing about communities you just can't go into into building them uh, and that's that's why perhaps you know they're hard got it and the offline events and other thing any tips on things that have worked tactical or, or- the main reason we do offline is trust i had a stall at shivos i met so and so i have a selfie with sari so it's a thing it's a thing where people say hey this is not just a nameless faceless so if you look at twitter and facebook right like it's almost impossible to meet somebody from twitter so we have to break that to say hey no 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 we are we are just like the offline communities we have events we have meetups we have partnerships and that's also part of our growth playbook because a lot of shiros is about bringing women in communities that have existed in the offline space on board so for us building trust via offline interaction is very very core in fact before the lockdown through the network we would in a month there would be at least 5 to 6 meetups like every weekend we would have 
like two to three events going on. We would always have something on the calendar in any part of the country. Some run by us, some run by partners, some run by members. But, you know, we've all have seen club memberships, Rotary Club. It has built flowers. They will tag people to say, I met this person. Oh, this person sells books. This person sells something else. This person sings very well. And that's what creates, you know, it's basically fuel for the community. Got it. That That's helpful. One more question from a founder. This is a relevant one. So your perspective on what are some of the things that investors in India should do to improve the odds for more female founders out of India to get funded? All right. This is an Indian matchmaking question. <laughs> Look, I think uh, I have to say it's really, really hard for women founders to raise money. And uh, while there are more of us now, we are still less than 5% in the entire ecosystem. I think uh, here's here's what I feel founders should do. I think one, uh, investors need to be more open, you know. So, and I think I hope investors become more open. And by by that, I really mean that they see women founders as who they are and not as fitting into the frame they already have in mind. Like I really face this. That you know, heroes is not like a lot of people would say is we are building this in India. Just see it for what it is and not for you know, what you think it is. So a lot more openness and that would mean just meeting more founders, however they look like, you know, small, big, boutique, non-boutique, small town, big town, whatever that might be. But I just feel we need to, we need to create more spaces for interaction and hear more stories, you know, small town stories because, you know, a big company doesn't come out of, you know, nowhere it has to be built. Ideas have to be nurtured. Ecosystems have to be nurtured. I mean, look at us. We are here because I think this whole story started maybe 20 years ago. So, and we, we got to do the same thing. We need more nurturing spaces. And I do think a little more audacious experiments around investment modeling for female partners. So I do feel we need change in the, the kind of investment instruments you, we use. So, Maybe not a series A level instruments, maybe micro funds, maybe middle mm. level funds, maybe increasing the base of the funnel really, really matters because there are a lot, lot more women building, you know, startups now, but not all of them will become the next unicorn. So we clearly need to, you know, apply principles of marketing, increase base of the funnel. And for that, you know, even if mortality rate is high, so be it, because then at least we will be in a way a chunk of, you know, good, high-scale quality startups from that funnel. So I do feel we need to seed more female founders through various things and through more financial instruments modeling. Than, than the traditional ones, right? So got it. Yeah. So two ideas there. One is meet more founders for the investment founders and be more open-minded, yeah. right? And the second is think of innovative instruments that could be Different from what it is yeah. currently. Both good things to work figuring out details. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, just hypothetically, if I if I run a fifty million dollar fund, how about saying, you know, this is five hundred k for you know female founders, and we will see maybe fifty founders here. Got right? it. So it's just a small way to to encourage more risk taking. I mean, why are we in the startup ecosystem? We are here to encourage more risk taking. Yeah, awesome. That's great practical thoughts for all the investors, including myself, to think about. So last question, if you were to look back and give yourself advice as a women founder sticking with that same theme, what would your advice be to a younger Sairi or to someone else listening today, starting out on this journey? Absolutely. Look, 
I think I always say this, I would definitely be more aggressive. I'd be nice. You know, we all have this good girl baggage we carry because our parents told us you are, you know, you have to be nice. We carry this on our backs all the time, which is fine. But I definitely think I would take more risks and I would definitely be more audacious and I would definitely be a little more aggressive. And at the same time, I think, you know, when I came into the ecosystem, failures were like, you couldn't talk it. But I do think that unless, you know, our mortality rate of startups goes up, then we're not going to sort of get there. We have to learn in the process. It's like practice for all of us. And same for, for somebody like me. I would just take more risks. And even if some of those ideas were bad duds. But, you know, here I was far more careful and far more curated, making sure, you know, I will I will bootstrap my startup. I will not raise seed money until I have something in place, right? And there, you know, you have men founders raising money and napkins and like seed ideas, so I think I would do more of that for sure and ask for help. A lot of people have helped me. Uh, a lot of people who didn't know me, people have cold called and I, I think that still stands and I would still do more of the same. Be aggressive, be audacious. Don't, don't be hesitant about asking for help. Right? All great advice. Any last words of encouragement for all the audience listening and also the female audience like touched upon a lot of things. Yeah. I think we're, we're in very, very interesting times. Yeah. You know, India is one of those unique countries where lot of we are sitting on a mountain of possibility you know and i think the other thing is that you know the private sector and entrepreneurs have far more imagination and far more skillful means than anybody else in this country so we we have the power to solve a lot of big problems here you know like one of the things we're doing is we're working with step one cheetos is working with step one to offer uh, volunteers for telemedicine and they all came from our community so I just feel we all need to sort of, you know, take a shot at big, difficult problems, whatever is your thing, right? So go for it because we are in a lot more resources, a lot more information. Everybody's looking at us. Everybody wants to invest in India. And you can run experiments so much easily, right? So everyone should do more fun startup projects. Awesome. So you've grown from starting in 2011-12 to 2 lakh women to now 20 million. And I think you're still getting started you have a long way. Because it's really like, you know, it's like you have blue, engineers have blueprints on those white sheets. Yeah. That's how I feel today. Yeah. Because this is just like a very flaky representation of when the thing will come out of the cars. Yeah. So we want to get to 100 million. And I was talking to somebody and they said, why are you not taking 500 million and a billion women? And I was like, see, this is, this is what I was talking about. I need to think. Big. Awesome. So I wish you a lot more uh, success in the years ahead. We've already seen great success, but I think uh, there are amazing things to come. So on that note, wish you the best of luck, Sari. Really appreciate you joining and sharing your journey with us. Hope you enjoyed that chat with Sari. She talked us through her journey from being a Russian language fan to being a consultant, to starting Flexi Moms, and then pivoting that to Shiro's and building it as one of the most powerful communities of women in India. There were a lot of great takeaways there, including how to build products around communities. Hope you apply that to your own journeys. And hope you like this podcast. If you have some feedback for us, tweet us at Axel underscore India. And for more podcasts from the series, you can head to insidespodcast.in. Thank you. Thank you.